0: On Giddy Up, it's time for the debate. Breno, Brian from thestraight.com.au. Hello to you. It's been a busy week for your organisation.
1: It has been a busy week, Gareth. We've been uh, flat out. And, uh, yeah, when I got back from Sydney last night, there was a little story there waiting for me to uh, to get stuck into. And, uh, yeah, a pretty significant one, I think. We've uh, we've seen Chris Waller's entry into the Rose Hill debate. And uh, not surprisingly, he's... Um, yeah. He, he, well, we probably suspected that he wasn't keen, keen on this idea, but he was, he was pretty in fact in his, in his uh, response yesterday at this members' forum meeting last night.
0: Yep. Um, uh, hello to you, Mickey Gannon.
1: Uh,
2: gee, Brent, good morning. Uh, another day in racing and uh, it just never fails to deliver, does it?
0: It doesn't. Now, some big breaking news today, and we've been talking about this for a little while, but it looks like Adam Hieronymus has lost the ride on Storm Boy. Just looking at the trials there tomorrow at Rose Hill, And this basically um, tells you the story that James McDonald's riding Storm Boy in the 10th trial tomorrow morning there at Rose Hill. So that doesn't mean officially that he's got the ride for the Golden Slipper because he's riding Switzerland. I reckon Macken might have the choice between Storm Boy and Switzerland. So if Switzerland comes out and wins by five lengths, then Ryan Moore will probably ride Storm Boy. So, but... We know we know one fact. I think today is that Adam Hieronymus, I don't think we'll be riding Storm Boy in this year's
1: Golden Slipper, Brent. I mean, what what happened between this time yesterday and this time today? Uh, this time, like yesterday, we we're saying that Adam had, uh, Adam Hieronymus was half a chance because he he got the ride. Obviously, things changed pretty quickly in this business, and I think uh, yeah. I mean, we have we did say that was a highly likely possibility that uh, with the horse now on Coolmore's ownership that we would. Uh, it'd be hard probably hard for adam to keep the ride um as we suggested ryan moore's probably the one who was always going to be in the box seat uh j mac the other one of course and yeah it, it looks like it's come to pass so i mean i'm sure that people have plenty of opinions about that but uh Coolmore just walked out $20 million for a horse uh, and with the potential they may pay up to $60 million in the long term. So I guess they get to determine who gets to ride the horse in its biggest race. I don't know why people, people get like racing such an
0: emotional game, which I love. And I know there'll be a few Hippo fans will think, oh, he's done nothing wrong on this horse. And that's, well, he has done nothing wrong with this horse. And what he's been able to do is get the owners 15 odd million at the moment to sell this horse to Coolmore, being a son of Justify. Now, I would imagine he might get looked after with this deal as well, but Coolmore have two of the world's best jockeys. In fact, Coolmore have got the two best jockeys at their helm in James Are McDonald you? and Ryan Moore. So they'll have two horses in the Golden Slipper in Storm Boy and Switzerland at the moment if everything goes to plan. And you would imagine they will use, them. well, they will use those two jockeys. So I don't know which jockey's going to ride which horse at the moment, but I know that James McDonald's riding Stormboy at the trials tomorrow and he's riding Switzerland there on Saturday. So hey, have, G, Yeah G
2: just before you get going I'm looking at Racing New South Wales and and he down. No for no Storm no. Boy. no uh, have no, they not no. updated there's, it or what what's, what's the secret. go? There's a secret
0: there's a secret that I've worked out mate. There's a okay, secret. Okay, talk me through it. We we did did we tweet this the 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 screen from Racing New South Wales? Yeah, well if you yeah, a lot of people will be saying Gareth you don't know what you're talking about. So well, this you, is
2: why I, this is why I'm bringing it up.
0: Yeah, so if you if you go to Racing New South Wales, all right, and you, t- yep. and you type in James McDonald, mm. his ride's come up. So at Rose Hill, he's riding Kovalika tomorrow at the trials, Little Genie, Little Genie at the trials, Firestorm, and Storm Boy. I learned this little oh. trick when I was trying to look who was going to ride Manos in the early part of his trials. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously- Oh,
2: wow, wow. Yeah. That's breaking news, G.
0: Yeah. Can you see it now? Storm oh, Boy, no. James McDonald.
2: Huawei. Yep.
0: so he'll be riding too good hand. you, yeah, too
2: good you.
0: So there you go. I, I like, I feel for Hippo, but it's that's racing, and unfortunately, like it doesn't matter what circles that you walk in in life. If you're the best and you're getting opportunities more than others, it's because there's a reason for that. It's not just like James McDonald just arrived in New Zealand and everyone's looking after him and g- giving him um, free rides. He's actually had to work pretty hard to become the nation's best jockey. And when you get a relationship with Coolmore like he has, then um, it puts you into the box seat to get some lovely rides. And at the moment, Coolmore have got the two favourites for the Golden Slipper. So Ryan Moore's the other the other beneficial um, beneficial winner out of all of this because he'll be riding, of course, Switzerland or, or Storm Boy. And we can't forget last year, Maka did knock back the ride on, on Shinzo. Like he had the ride on Shinzo and then he was booked to ride Cylinder in the Slipper. So that means that Coolmore had to go to, to Ryan Moore at that in that situation. So, um, yeah, it's it, it, this will this will divide racing opinion a little bit, but I can completely understand it, Mickey Gannon. What's your take on this?
2: Oh well, we just hope that J Max stays away from horses like Celerity, because uh, you know a lot can happen in a month of racing. Uh, I think. I'm fine with it. Totally fine with it. It is what it is. The best jockeys get the best rides, and, and that's the way it goes. And J-Mac has a relationship with Coolmore. Uh, i love for Hippo to stay on this horse. However, it does just add more narrative. There's going to be plenty of eyes on the horse that Hippo gets to ride in the golden slipper. This golden slipper is not over. Barrier 100%. draws come into play. If Stormboy and Switzerland somehow miraculously draw 14 and 15, and Hippo's on a Lady of Camelot or a fully lit drawn barrier three or four, watch out. He'll be hungry, Hippo.
0: Well, that's what I mean. So like James McDonald and, and Ryan Moore are booked to like, they've got a relationship with Coolmore, of course. So that means that they have to take opportunities that that come their way with this organization. So they might have another horse that might jump out of the ground late, um, as a two year old, but they'll stick with the Coolmore runners. Um, and why wouldn't you stick with them right now? They're the two favorite, but as you pointed out, Celerity was a big run the other day and I'm in love with that filly. Um, and she might come out and, and win a couple of weeks before the slipper and gain to start. So you, you need a lot of luck, barrier draws, track conditions, weather. There's so many different variables. And I don't know, Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bot for the first time for a long time in a big race. Uh, I know that we've seen like a few big, like Lloyd Williams might've had four or five, say in a Melbourne Cup, I think once upon a time, Brent, but I don't think we've, we've ever and that's under the same ownership, so it's probably a little bit different. But for Waterhouse and Bott to have a peloton that they might have in a golden slipper, all for different owners, of course, but we all know that they'll be all racing on the pace. So it is going to be fascinating to see how that all plays out as we get closer to slipper time.
1: I think, um, I think, the, yeah, I think from memory, I've got some of the back of my mind in the early 2000s, Gay might have had six in the slipper. Um, but but just sort of thinking through that, like it is, it is a, it's like a daunting act for the stable to get that right. Um, I mean, may not have seen the end of that yet. Horses could emerge yet, but it it certainly imbued that state with a lot of confidence. They've gone to the sales this year and bought up well again. Um, yeah, they're very keen to to make this two year old uh, place theirs. Um, it was really interesting last year, as I think I mentioned, we had a chat about this last week or the week before. You know, Chris Wallace had very few two year old starters to date, and obviously, Kane uh, Adrian had have had a lot and have uh, targeted a lot of these horses to uh, be up and about for a slipper campaign, and uh, they'll get the reward when, when you know, six weeks' time or five weeks' time, we see them uh, step out and have a you know, fairly dominant force and a good chance of winning yet another Golden Slipper.
0: 4 to join the conversation. Let us know what you think. Or you can join us on SEN Talk. It's a new way you can talk to us. Listen to Giddy Up on the SEN app and push the Talk button on the top right of the screen and you can leave a mess- message. Let us know your thoughts on who should be riding Storm Boy. Um, think about It's the other chat that we'll have today and we'll get into the politics a little later on. But think about it, trialed the house down. I thought on Tuesday morning. So, was it Monday morning? I've, it's, it's been a big week there at Warwick Farm. It was Would have been Monday, yeah. G. It was Monday, definitely Monday morning because it wasn't yesterday. So, Monday morning, he trials. And I was interested to read the report there from Ray Thomas saying that they want to go down a Doncaster path, maybe. Um, George Ryder Doncaster, then into a Queen Elizabeth. Now, I thought to myself, and I was looking at that programming, and I'm thinking, I don't know if Joe Pride knows the handicapper or not Mickey Gannon, but there's no chance in the world <laughs> that he's getting a weight that will see him compete unless he wants to carry the grandstand in the Doncaster. Your thoughts yeah. on that? I don't, he'll get 60, 60 plus, won't he?
2: Um, I'm no handicapper, handicapper, but I can't imagine it's going to be a healthy weight for the horse. And no. I, I've got I've got big concerns for, you know, if you're going to try, you know, go down the path of a, of a mile, toughest mile, one of the tougher mile races, um, you know, in the autumn and then try to come back for an Everest. I don't like that as a preparation. However, Joe, who am I to question Joey Pride? What I will say is they, they try to stretch a private eye out and realize that he was a better, better sprinter. Uh, will they realize the same thing and will they waste the preparation? Maybe. Like, if you know he's good at what he does, why don't you just keep him to 1200 well, and let him dominate?
0: It's a rare type of situation that proven thoroughbreds find themselves in because they've got. Two of the best sprinter miles in the country, if not the, the two best sprinter miles in the country. I I know Mr. Brightside's yelling at me at Flemington. Hello, Gareth. Um, and you make a good point, Mr. Brightside. But you've proven thoroughbreds have got private eye, and they've also got um, think about it. So they try and well, yeah. split them up at the moment, and and he might have a ridiculous. He might have a ridiculous. Um. What's the word I'm looking for? It's a privilege in a way, but you might have so many runners in a in a TJ Smith when you think about yeah. it, Joe Pride, Marsu, think about it, um, Private Eye, if you went down that track,
2: Cold well, it could be th- another one. Think about it, did win a Stradbroke, right? Over 1,400 metres. Yep. So look, there's no doubt the horse could get there. It's just what you want to do next. that
0: is, isn't it? 1,300 the Stradbroke.
2: Oh, I'll have a bottle of wine on it. It was 14, but um, I, I think... Just, you just got to worry, right? When they stretch them to 16 and they've got to come back to expropriation and their main target is 1,200-meter Everest, it is a, it is something in the back of your mind that you might be concerned about. Yeah, I don't but,
0: think they'll go to the Everest if he goes out and trip this prep.
2: Oh, that's where the money is.
0: Yeah. Well, you just
2: got to keep like just keep turning up to the Everest, surely. Just keep winning that.
0: Yeah, well, it depends what kind of deal you get. There's more money, I reckon, in the middle distance races sometimes, Bren. when you think about it. There's the Everest and that's it. There's three million dollars yeah. in a champion sprint, but then you've got like races like um, um, the lead-up races to say the Cox Plate, but then you've got the Cox Plate, and the Champions Mile, or the champion Stakes. They're both worth the same as the champion sprint. Um, no, it's an interesting path which they're going to to go down,
1: Brent. I don't know if you can. Yeah, well, I guess uh, if you got a horse that's won the Everest, I don't know if you can start kind of planning going mile and beyond. I guess what we're also looking about here is probably pedigree as well. To Gareth, I mean, you know, you've got a horse who's by So You Think, who we know was a, a champion horse up to you know two thousand meters, was an absolute superstar. Uh And I was Preston. Uh, if you looked back through his pedigrees, I was there for the Flying Spur Mayor. His siblings are all sort of, you know, none of them really got up to a mile or one up on a mile. There's sprinting further back in the genes. Horses like Kena Ray, who was a, a really good sprinter, even a horse like Skyfield, a Group One winner in in New Zealand. For, uh, sorry, in, in Hong Kong features in there as well. So, um, yeah. So if, I mean, it's sort of. On that perspective, you probably think there's a little bit of scope in terms of pedigree and, and what he can do, and, and and probably his racing style and the way that he does things as well. But I, I kind of also get the feeling that I just don't kind of get. I think oh, maybe it's worth a shot this autumn, but I think the Everest has to be the the spring mm-hmm. target because it's worth so much money. He's also the defending champion. Um, he, surely, surely that's the race that you, you're, you're circle.
2: And the other hundred percent. Bit- and he's only he's only five years old, right? Yeah. So so he'd be six year old in an Everest. Maybe maybe the next autumn. Like, I totally would understand that. You've won two Everest, you don't need the money. You know, that would make more sense to but,
0: me. But what we know is that um, the Walter family, with proven thoroughbreds, and of course, Joe Pride, are very smart operators and they're not deals sure. and they'll do the best possible thing for the horse, I would imagine. Um, so it oh, is. There's, they, there's if, no question, there's no do, question if, about that. If they do go down that path, it will be fascinating. I think the biggest problem that they might have with him is whether they can get him to settle. He does get, he gets. He gets wound up before his race. It's a bit like Mickey Gannon when you tell him that you're going out on a Saturday night and he can have a lead pass from the kids there for a Saturday night. He's like, he's right on the bit. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, time will tell. It will be one of the most fascinating narratives for the, the autumn carnival. And Gee, it, it would be great just to, to if Just do we, me one
2: favour. Yeah. And what I'll what I say is just go watch the Giga Kick stakes, which is over 1300 metres. Yep. It, that, he did not scream Milo no. to me. And
0: and that's why it's it's so interesting that Joe Pride's indicating that they might go down that path. It surprised me when I saw it the other mm. day. So, um, yeah, we wish him the best of luck. Him and Mr. Brightside Absolutely. taking on each other. That would be some race. Let's take a break. And you would think if they wanted to go down that path, they might've got him up nice and early for like an all-star mile worth $5 million. That might've been his race. Wait for age instead of trying to go to a Doncaster under handicapped conditions. 90 minutes past eight. Gareth Hall with you. Bren O'Brien from thestraight.com.au au. And Mickey Gannon joining us, just repeating the news that we found out this morning, just going to the Racing New South Wales website, that James McDonald's been booked to ride Storm Boy in the Golden Slipper, not in the Golden Slipper, I should say in the trial tomorrow, which probably suggests that Adam Hieronymus won't be riding that horse going forward um, after the sale there from Cornwall that happened um, late last week. We'll take a break, we'll come back with plenty more straight after this. Welcome back to Giddy Up, Gareth Hall with you on this beautiful Wednesday morning. 25 minutes past eight. This is the Wednesday debate. Gareth Hall, Bren O'Brien from thestraight.com.au and Mickey Gunnam with you. Text messages are flying through. G-Man, plenty of stuff on socials from Zara back at Johnny O'Neill. Whack on him regarding Bold Bastille. We'll get to that in just a moment. Zara did it, miss and I love it. Zara was having a wonderful time at Las Vegas. My phone was going off and he didn't miss the champ. So we might get to see what Johnny O'Neill has to say about that on Monday. Gareth, good morning. Think about it. Won't get close to 2,000 metres. Mark Sarah won't be riding for Johnny O and Aussie for quite a while after Monday morning's antics by John. I Like, people think that. I, I So if if Johnny and Aussie have got a favour in the Melbourne Cup, Mark is going to go, oh, sorry, Johnny, I'm not riding for you today because what you said about me over one ride there on but Steel, that's not going to happen, whoever that is. And like Mark Sarah I think he, like he, he's a champ in the way that he took it. And he was obviously annoyed at Johnny's comments, but, um, he's, he's one of the most, um, in-demand jockeys at the moment in the country. And we'll talk about this a little later on, but, um, he'll be riding for Ozzy Kerr and Johnny O'Neill again. And Ballarat race five today, close watch on bright up and, uh, bright up and come from the Brown Stable and, uh, Pondeloie. So
2: we'll oh, it'll be winning, G. On.
0: Oh, yeah. Will it be winning, Mickey mm. Gannon? All right, then. Mm-hmm. I'll jot that one down in our book today. Hey, we'll take the news, then we'll come back and we'll have a chat about this situation that Bren O'Brien was talking about on the straight.com.au. Chris Wally, you don't really seem this critical of anyone, really, but he's just come off the long run regarding the, the redevelopment at Rose Hill. We'll talk about this situation with Sarah and Johnny O'Neill as well. Um, plus we'll get to your text messages 736 to join our conversation 049736736 Welcome back to Giddy Up Gareth all with you on this Wednesday morning it's 8.30 in the east 5.30 in WA big hello to our friends there 7.30 in Queensland it's 8 o'clock now in South Australia and it's just a tick over 10.30 in New Zealand talking about New Zealand um, the New Zealand boy Chris Waller was disgusted um, in an interview that he conducted with the straight.com.au, which is Bren O'Brien's publication, of course, yesterday. And it reads Champion trainer Chris Waller has led an extraordinary rebu- rebuke of the plans to develop and sell off Rosehill Racecourse, calling out the leadership of the Australian Turf Club chairman Peter McGoran and Racing New South Wales CEO Peter Vallandis at a members' forum meeting on Tuesday. Wall Australia's Premier Trainer of the past decade and Rose Hill's most significant tenant has remained largely silent on the Rose Hill issue since it was announced in December that the ATC and the state government would close, develop and sell off the iconic Western Sydney racecourse in a process to start in 2028. However, in an 18-minute presentation at the ATC briefing meeting for members obtained by the Strait Waller clinically took apart the ATC's business case and planning for the deal which has been estimated to be worth 4.8 billion dollars. Bren O'Brien, it's an interesting situation and I got in contact with Chris Waller this morning and he says he just needs a little bit more time to discuss this situation publicly. he did that in a forum there at Rose Hill which was run by the ATC and there's three briefings I think on this on this situation about why the ATC and racing New South Wales want to redevelop Rose Hill. Um, but it's fair to say he's not happy. The champion trainer.
1: No, and a, I guess the point is about Waller's language here. I mean, there was a motive language involved in it, but it was a very measured 18 minute presentation. It was a very measured uh, presentation to the members and to the board members that were there. I think there were five of the seven ATC board members there. Um, and Waller, you know, took apart the argument bit by bit. And it was quite, uh, yeah, it was actually quite compelling to listen to the way that Waller was able to sort of go to the different points that were raised. You know, he said probably his strongest criticism for the Horsley Park proposal, which is the idea that they're going to pick up uh, the, the training, uh, I guess, numbers lost from Rose Hill and relocate in the far west of Sydney uh, at Horsley Park. He said, um, it's ridiculous. It's, he said, you're talking about the welfare of horses then give yourself an uppercut because horses shouldn't be living in 40 degree temperatures. And that's about the perception that that's one of the hottest parts of of Sydney out there. And that was fairly strong, very strong language from from Waller. Um, and yeah, and then he asked, you know, because obviously Peter McGowan was there. Um, he asked Mr McGowan if he was going to be there in five years time when, quote, this mess starts to unfold. He also called out Peter Volandes, which was interesting. He gave him plenty of praise. Said he's the best administrator in New South Wales I've ever had, all that sort of stuff. But yes. wonder where he was on this issue because um, PBL obviously wasn't at the meeting. And I think that there's probably a, a, a few questions around that as well. But I think the number one thing about this, about Waller, is he stepped into this issue in a big way. And he hadn't just stepped into it by saying, you know, this is my immediate reaction and I don't think this is, yeah, it's, it's very measured, it's very detailed. Um, and he's done a really good job of putting forward the case why Rose Hill should, should be maintained as a racing centre and a training centre. And uh, it's, a, it's a significant debate. Uh, Gay Waterhouse also stepped up. She had a huge crack at the uh, the ATC board. Um, yeah, she described it as a disgrace, uh, said they should be ashamed of themselves. Um, there's some a lot going on in this debate. I and mean, when you have the two biggest trainers in Australia, or two biggest high-profile trainers in Australia, making uh, comments on a, in a forum like this so publicly, uh, it certainly speaks to the tenor of the debate and the challenge the ATC have got of convincing um, the members and the powers that be that, um, yeah, yeah, this is a good idea moving oh, okay. forward.
0: Well, it's staggering, really. I don't think it'll happen, Mickey Gannon. I don't think we'll see this redevelopment.
2: Oh, yeah, spot on, G. I think if you were setting odds on the redevelopment, you are probably be looking at about 50 to 1, I'd imagine, G. Uh, I, I, I sp- not ideal for them when uh, when Chris Waller and articulates himself so well, and then also on the way out tells you to give yourself an uppercut uh he's astute and then you've got gay out there opposing it as well and i could imagine there's a long line of trainers underneath them that have similar similar feelings and here it becomes an issue and we talk about this in regards to you know point of consumption tax in regards to speaking to the punters you're making decisions without you know engaging trainers this is an industry wide problem we're not engaging stakeholders all stakeholders all the time on all decisions and it becomes divisive gee
0: and what's more impressive about Chris Waller is that how many horses is he, is he trading at the moment? I don't know how many he'd have in his
2: books. It'd be 400. Yeah. On, yep. And
0: to do what he, to, to, to like, it's all, it's all, it's all, um, well and good to go and present a, a presentation like that, but you need to have the facts to back it up and you need to be prepared. It looks like, and reading your article, Brendan O'Brien, that he's completely and utterly nailed it. I don't know who was helping him, but that just proves the class of the man, the professionalism of the man, and that's why he's the best at what he does. Because he 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 makes sure that he covers all bases. And if he if he if he believes in something, and he's passionate about something, um, and he wants to win on something, then he'll make sure that he gets the job done. And that presentation proves it, Brendan. Then I'll go to you, Mickey.
1: Yeah, I mean, he spoke spoke with great authority on it, and he's obviously done his research. And as we said, you know, he hasn't said a lot about this issue, and he has been happy to sit there and say, "Look, I'm just you know digesting what's going on or whatever." If this is yeah, you know, the the level of thought that Chris Waller and those around Chris Waller have put into this is significant, uh, and they're they're pretty clear in their objections. And he made a really interesting point. The other interesting point he made was around about Parramatta being the heart of Sydney from a geographical point of view and from a cultural point of view, and that it was probably time for those. Mm-hmm old school you know eastern suburb types to realize the value of rose hill to the racing industry because if you're going to have a city of 10 million people in 10 years time you need race courses for people to go to and to and to relate to and it was a really yeah really well crafted uh presentation and you know i said there was a emotive language involved but it was very very uh calculated and very considered and yeah you know, I mean, and we would expect that from Waller because he's one He actually he's a you know chris doesn't speak offhand about a lot of things but when he does speak you need to listen, and he's, 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 and he's probably nailed this one.
0: There's a couple of, like, if you're playing devil's advocate here, there's a couple of, if you take a step back, Chris Waller would be passionate. He doesn't want to leave racing because he's had so much success from this organisation. But he also wants to, like, he wants to, to make sure that he leaves a legacy. And I think he, and he's always had racing, um, racing is his number one priority, Chris, I think, throughout his, his illustrious career. Um, and then the other aspect, then you're trying to think, why does the ATC want to sell this? So there has to be a reason why they they're going down this path, Mickey Gannon. Um, yeah, do we need and, the money? And, and, are they and once worried again, worried about the turnover and the gambling dollar here. Um, they but, are, yeah.
2: And this brings up another point, which you know, Brendan did an article on as well in regards to um, you know the purchasing of property, which we'll, we'll get to. But the the biggest issue I have here is you've got one of the biggest stakeholders in the game who trains at that facility. If you wanted to get something like this to to work, you needed to consult Chris Waller well and truly before you came out and they're just just missing the beat again.
1: Mm.
2: You, you, if you wanted to get this over the line, who would you speak to first, Brent?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Chris Waller had to be. He's the, the biggest name Madness. at Rose Hill by that far. amount not funny. And yeah, if Chris goes-
2: gives it a tick of approval, how how much of an easier sell is it now? But,
0: yeah, he's got it right. He, yeah. If he doesn't give it a tick of approval, they'll still probably, if they really want to do it, they'll go ahead with it, won't they?
2: Well, I don't think it's how it works, Jay. You need your stakeholders and participants. Then what are they going to uplift everything out west yeah. further and further? Like, let's just let me propose this one to you. How many how, how many times have you been to Menangle Trots compared to Harold Park Trots?
0: Yeah, you're getting down Richie Callender's article that I read there the other day. I think someone yep. showed me that no one really cares about the trots anymore. And it's obviously a sport that's got its challenges at the moment. And I agree okay, with well, that. Okay, well, let me. But, let, you know, Wentworth agree, Park I, versus Dapto. Yeah, 100%. But I agree with all of that. Like harness racing lost its soul a little bit when they moved from Harold Park and when they moved from Mooney Valley to Melton and, and, and to Manangle. Um, but they've still got Ramwick. You can't race there every week. The
2: track barely holds up every second
0: week. I know you you can't race there every week, but you can race like it's still going to, if you lose Ramwick, you're in trouble. I think in Sydney, like, and that's crown land. So you've got that for a hundred odd years, but that can, who knows with the government these days and the woke world that we're living in, Bren.
1: I think the challenge is if you move racing to the margins geographically. Of the cities it becomes to the margins of the mindset of, of, of the greater populace and that's the challenge that racing's got and you don't get all back you can't go oh, hang on No, we're going to buy that back because once it's done it's done um you know the atc are, made, are making this move because they believe it it future proves them and future proofs racing uh for them going forward and and that's you know their prerogative but Waller i made a really good point he's like this is not about the next 20 years it's about the next 200 years and if racing's got to be around for a very yeah. long time you need that footprint. It's a challenge that we're facing across the board in, in Australia and across the, across the world at the moment. We've seen the closure of Singapore. we talk about Macau. we talk talked about what's going on at Sandown, the debate around that. I mean, this is all part of a wider debate about what racecourses need to be and where they need to sit. And yeah. I think, you know, Wallace hit the nail on the head here that, you know, hey, it's nice to have that money in the bank, but it goes. And he also pointed out there used to be 13 racecourses in Sydney. That, that, what, there's four now, and, and what's left of those nine that they sold? nothing that money disappears so quickly someone gets a lot Someone builds a grandstand someone makes a development someone puts a bit of money on prize money someone does this that money goes and that longer term uh legacy is not there. And you'll lose that. Once you lose that foothold, you'll lose it forever. And so that's probably my personal sort thoughts around Rose Hill.
0: And just with the the other story that you wrote this week regarding the the property that racing New South Wales own, I was surprised with how much property they actually own, but I think it's a great idea. I think it's smart strategy by Peter velandi and his team because um, that you need to have those options going forward because there's going to be different ways that you'll have to have income stream. And revenue coming back towards the industry, and if you can maximise the money that you're making in the glory days, and then plan for the future if times get tough, then I think it's genius administra- administration, Um, Brett. Yeah,
1: I, I think I think yes, and so the story yeah does does it. With, I think 125 million dollars of, of property of New South Wales acquired in a five to six year period, which is a lot, and and not too, too dissimilar with the strategy that. Uh, Valandis, Peter Valandis has, has outlined for what the NRL want to do as well in terms of securing major, you know, major trenches of property. It, from that perspective, it is good. The challenge is, um, I guess, longer term, you know, the, the value of that land or the value of what they've It is continues to go up, that, that they're making good use of those places um, and, and developing those places and where things sit. And, and I think it's, I guess the point of our article was more to shine a light to say, hey, This is what's happened. We're not saying necessarily it's a good thing or it's a bad thing or whatever it is. But it's important that people know this is where a significant amount of of industry money has gone in the last bit. And so, therefore, there is a bank there. Of course, there's a bank there. And we have to go back to that bank to to fund future things within racing. That's fine. But it is a a lot of money and it is a lot of property. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's important that people know that.
0: We'll take a quick break. It's 8.42. This is the Wednesday debate on the, this Wednesday morning. Gareth Hall, Bren O'Brien and Mickey Gannon with you.
2: Uh, that horse has trotted up 100% sound. There's nothing wrong with it. I don't know what yeah. was wrong. I'll tell you what was wrong with it. It was a shithouse ride. That's what it was. So Mark obviously rode Bodyguard like a champion and he rode the other one like a goat. It was just horrendous. I don't know what so, he was doing. To the airport, I think, for the Super
0: Bowl. We, that was Johnny O'Neill with his comments with Mark Sarr and his ride on his Philly Bold but still. And Mark Sara's has come back and he's come back hard too on his social media platforms saying Johnny's got no idea. He needs to go to spec savers and have a look at the ride. Um, so I think it's, I think it's theater. I don't think Mark, Mark would have been a little annoyed from Johnny's comments. I would imagine, but they're good mates. He's taken it. Um, he, they'll, he'll, will Mark will ride for John again. John will put Mark on again. Mark praises Mark Sarah more than he criticizes Mark Sarah. Um, and people go like, Gareth, like um, Johnny, Johnny O'Neill's not a form expert. What would he know? Like Johnny O'Neill um, is a punter. He owns a lot of horses. And that's the whole idea of the means test when you get a trainer like Wayne Hawks and you get a leading owner like Johnny O'Neill. We've got the Monday breakdown where we have Mickey Gannon, Dean Watling and Mitchie Lewis from a form point of view, but the lads had a different type of perspective um, to the racing game. And, um, when you put in the money that Johnny O'Neill does, I guess you can say whatever you want to say about the, the jockey that rides your horse.
2: Yeah, you can, but you've also got to be careful because you can't burn too many bridges. Gee, I no one to ride for you. But yeah, a bit of theater I'd imagine around Mark's yeah, comments. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think if Mark really cared, he wouldn't have actually said anything. He would have kept it behind closed doors yeah. and said, don't worry about it, Johnny, I'm not riding for you anymore. But in regards to the right, like Johnny, just come chat to me, mate. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. You look at the sectionals, you break them down. It's gone just just over two lengths quicker than what the horse did at Mooney Valley. The ride was fine. Two, the second, horse that... two
0: lengths quicker. I think that Johnny reckons they went too quick up front. And Blake Shin kicked up underneath Mark Sarra that made him work a little harder. And I don't think Mark Sarra was expecting that.
2: Yeah, look, let me give you the red hot tip, mate. To be to be or not to be, SP'd nineteen dollars and finished one point two five lengths and sat outside the leader. I, I don't like I'm just gonna be honest. There's nothing wrong with the ride. Mm. I just don't think the horse is up to it. And then the other query is I think Johnny might have been a bit more upset about the fact that um they said it was lame and then it trotted up fine. So a bit of emotion there. He's entitled to his opinion. That's fine. But th- there's data there to back it all up, G. Yeah.
0: Wonder where Johnny gets his data from.
1: I have no idea. Mm. Brent? They're not cars. You can't just go, I'm going to go this fast and go that fast. You're talking two lengths. You're talking about small amounts of judgment, whatever else. Sometimes jockey's going to ride them absolutely 100%. Sometimes they're going to ride a 98%. Uh, Someone like Zara, you get your 100% more often than not. Um, Yeah, the only only issue I have with this, and I'm I'm, cool, it's banter, fun and games. I'm sure, you know, Mark will jump on the horse. I think the only problem I have with jockey bagging as a rule is obviously these are the guys that take all the risks they sit on the horses going a million miles an hour and take the risks and what they do day to day um, and I think sometimes it, it it facilitates those who have less control over their yeah. emotions to start getting stuck into jockeys and start getting um yeah start actually having a crack at people and I think that ends up in a bit of an ugly path I don't think this particular is ugly I think it's banter I think whatever else that's fine but I think the danger of this type of comment is that you know, it's not yeah you know, we've come a long day long time for the days of people yelling at jockeys over the fence it now becomes a, a, yeah. a lifelong pursuit for some people in terms of jockey bagging and I think it's, it's it gets into slightly dangerous areas John's got every right to have his opinion it's his horse I've got no problem with that but I think longer yeah you know, the broader term around jockey bagging and saying oh you did this and do that well hop on one yourself mate see how you go
0: yeah
1: um, because you know, from my perspective these are the guys that take all the risk every day and as I said they're they not cars but gee they...
2: if, if he had gone ten lengths quicker to the six hundred. Then maybe no Johnny
0: got it wrong. Maybe, maybe Johnny got it wrong. Who knows?
2: Well, um, you know, Johnny's got a record of getting it wrong. He, he told me I had no idea what I was talking about about his horse. No, you're my I'm, I'm, I'm still waiting on my bottle of wine, Johnny, if you're listening. Now,
0: now you're making it personal, Mickey G. You might come on. I know. Not at all. Sounds like you are.
2: No, 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 no. Just bringing up the past.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> I think everyone deserves an opinion. It's all a little bit of banter and fun. Sometimes we take this Good game fun, too G. serious. Um, I don't reckon Johnny would have gone as hard as at, a, at another jockey if he knew that Mark wouldn't have a bit of fun with it as well. Um, Mark will come back and say, Johnny, you're a clown, which he did there on social media. And then people can have their opinions. That's what the great game's about. People having strong opinions. And we see it all the other, like we see it all the time in other sports, don't we? Um, that people can be critical and they can praise. And at the end of the day, Johnny O'Neill has praised Mark Sara on several occasions in fact, he's in love with, it's James McDonald, then Mark Sarah when it comes to um, love affairs, when it comes to jockeys with Johnny O'Neill. And so, yeah, so it is what it is. Um, um, bit of fun, bit of banter. And, and you've got to live by your opinions. Johnny got it wrong a few times during the spring. Um, oh, and we're right. all going to get it wrong, James. Yeah, like, he's got it right it a few is. times as well. So, but yeah. what
2: I will say is, I do agree, Brent. You've got to be, you've got to be careful when when you are when you do have a you know a position of power in the industry and you you are out there. You just got to be careful because you don't want to be encouraging um, abuse of jockeys and things like that. No. Because there are jockeys out there that are on Twitter that actually are getting death threats. It's just just ludicrous, yes. absolutely ludicrous. So we, we, bit, we, not, I think a, I think weird. if Johnny and Mark can come out and say a complete a whole lot of banter, if that's what it was, I think it paints it in a better picture because you don't want to encourage mm. trolls carrying on like peanuts. One
0: hundred and ten percent. But, you, like, that's a, that's a completely different death threats to what we're going on about on, on, on Monday. But, yeah, you, people need to be called out if they're doing that. They need to go to jail if they're um, um, saying stuff like that to jockeys. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back with plenty more straight after this. Good morning. Great to be with you this Wednesday morning. It's the Wednesday debate. Gareth Hall with you, Bren O'Brien and Mickey Gannon. Um, news that broke this morning that James McDonald... Looks like he's set to replace – well, he has replaced Adam Hieronymus for the moment anyway on Storm Boy. Adam Hieronymus won't be riding Storm Boy. Heading towards the Golden Slipper path now, so it'll either be Ryan Moore or James McDonald on Storm Boy, and the other will ride Switzerland. McDonald to ride Storm Boy tomorrow at the trials in Switzerland in the Pierrot Plate on Saturday. Um We'll get through those text messages and I've got a little bit more time to go through these text messages now for double nine, seven, three, six, seven, three, six to join our conversation. Um, who would you think is a better sprinter in or think about it? Mickey Gannon. That's a good question. I think I'm fascinated to see how Imperatory comes back on, on Saturday because from the trial and even that track gallop at Mooney Valley, I don't think, I don't know. I've, I've got my question. I want to see her do it on Saturday.
2: Yeah, i got my queries. I'm with you, G. She needs to turn up um, and get the job done. We cool. could all have egg on our faces and she just comes back bigger, better, stronger. Uh, And therefore, there's no doubt that she's the best sprinter. I think what we saw last preparation, yes, she didn't go to Sydney to win the Everest or to compete in the Everest, but I, the, the data backs up her performances and I have her clearly on top, G. But a lot could change on Saturday, Brent.
1: Yeah, I think we're, we're so lucky to have like you know so many great sprint races where horses can race in different states, and we can have this debate because they had a run against each other last spring. We wouldn't be having these discussions if Imperatrice went to the end. Everest wins by six lengths or gets beaten by six lengths. We know where things stand. So I think that's the beauty of it. Like I think it's great to have these discussions. Like for me, Imperatrice is probably the one, probably number one seed. Mm. But like I said, isn't it great to have this discussion? Isn't it great to think about if they do meet in the track, who will end up on top? So yeah, I think it's yeah, it, it, it's it's all good fodder.
0: Yeah, news coming through as well that Adam Hieronymus is booked to ride the Philly for Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott in the um, Blue Diamond Lady of Camelot. So, whether she pushes oh, like on that. towards the the Blue Diamond, I mean, the Golden Slipper after that, time will tell, but that's a good ride if you can pick pick up a ride on like Well, this is, like, this is like what her. Gay
2: does for her riders, G. So if one if one can't get on for whatever reason, she looks after them with a, with a horse that's going very, very well. It's a very good chance, and full credit to Gay for that.
0: Yeah. Um, and it looks like, I think the bet that you can have at the moment in the Blue Diamond, I can't believe the price we're getting for her, Mickey Gannon. I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I went back and had a look at a few of the replays there the other day, um, and this particular... Philly is at a big price. I'm just having a look what price we're getting now for the Blue Diamond, which is just over a week's time. Here we go. The Blue Diamond stakes. Coleman at five dollars. Lady of Camelot five dollars. Bodyguard five fifty. High Octane seven. Stay focused nine. And Anisa at ten dollars. I, I I love Anisa. I think they'll really? be yeah. There'll be so much pace on here. Um, I and thought that, her run under yeah. the circumstances was excellent behind Coleman. She had no right to do what she did with the track conditions that day. Um, Grand final trainer. I thought that Damien Lane gave her the best possible ride heading towards the Blue Diamond because he's a jet. He can understand what the big grand final is. Yeah, I think she's a great bet at $10. It
2: was a horse I was happy to take a set against uh, in in that run prior based off what she did previously. Like the the form lines weren't enormous. But you're right, race shape's going to be there. I do. What I'll want to tell punters to do out there is go do your research on a Caulfield where the rail is going to be and how the track's going to play on that day because we've seen some significant variance in how the tracks have been playing of late you're going to I think make a good earn if you can go work out how that track plays on Blue Diamond Day yeah Uh, I think my gut feeling G is you want to be up and in Mm.
1: Caulfield is a rule though isn't it it's always been that. Like to be fair, like. You but then on about... Saturday
2: it was completely off. Yeah,
1: up. So yeah, true. but I,
0: mean, I, I think they've been like it's scratched my head a few times. Cool for the recent times, how it's played. Even like it was a like I think um, the Doria um Walsh's horse in that first race. Like it played like a real soft track at the start of the meeting, which surprised me. And it's because of the irrigation that goes on in these 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 hot days, which makes it difficult to work out. Brand sometimes.
1: It does, but I mean, you know, I mean, another thing too, Corfe has been completely redone, so there is an aspect of it being a slightly new track. But Corfe has always been an up and in in track as a rule on those big days. On the grand final days, it's always been a track which has worked yeah, it's not mean, it's not a crack at the track. It's just the nature of it. Yeah, and yeah, most tracks course. most tracks are up and in because that's the way we work. It, it favours horses that that are on the pace and horses horses that cover the least amount of ground. So as a rule, that's probably the yeah that's the way it works. And so, if, and for you know, me with Caulfield, it's always up and in. I, I I'll be up and in until things are proven otherwise. Now, and Brent, G,
2: all yeah. you've got to do is listen to the weekend preview because on on Thursday we, we spoke about Ram. We can how Randwick is going to play, and and so many participants were blowing up saying, "I can't believe the rails are off." Just just got to tune in.
0: I know 100, percent but if you've got it's a horse that's drawn in. the inside and you spend all this money buying this horse at a sale, um, I know Brent's got to go, and then this happens. It can be frustrating. Good on you, Brent. Thanks for that, mate.
1: Thanks, guys. Right, that's Brent up. O'Brien
0: from straight.com today. You can get all of his work going to that website. And saying that, Mickey, track bias can be a little bit frustrating for participants because not it about is the, hard, it's geez. not about the punt. It's it's like you, you imagine if you had a horse and you spent all this money and you've at the English sales and you think you're a massive chance and it's worth $2 million and you've got your mates together and you've got this syndicate and you draw barrier one, you've got no chance because of the way that the track's playing. And yes. I know that sometimes the, tr- the track creators get, like, it's not an easy job and especially when it's hot and the weather's been like it has and with the predictions as well. Um, but that's the great game. It can be frustrating. So on. So, I think, yeah,
2: I think on the only, um, you know, piece on it that, that I can add to to avoid the frustration is, and I, and I want to hear like you know more for and against. and of is the rail just stay in the true position always? Well, that then, I've
0: I've asked about that, but then yeah, that, then that just gets cut up on the inside, and it's too hard for the track curators to manage the track if they just keep it in the true.
2: Well, then we're always going to have variants and Correct. we've just got to cop it on the chin. Yeah, and yeah, and it's
0: a difficult it's a difficult job being a track curator,
2: um, oh.
0: and it's not and easy. no knock on them
2: whatsoever. No. But and like, a lot of it's historical data. A lot of the way these tracks play, that they week in, week out, when the rails and the truett rammer could have played that way, and and history will just repeat itself. G, It's nothing racing, unusual. Yeah,
0: but racing needs to get it like it's. It needs to get better in a way because you got that much money involved. It's a multi multi million dollar business, and there's certain aspects that I just shake my head in disbelief that racing does. Like the perfect example is the Magic Millions blow up there with, um. Johnny O'Shea's 3 year old in the barriers mm. there wasn't enough barrier tents James McDonald having a crack there so like like and not not at the barrier tents but on on why there isn't enough barrier tents there on such a big day like that when there's yeah, millions and millions they're, they're of dollars up for
2: the that... They're yeah. variables that just shouldn't exist. No, like uh, <laughs> that's not a variable. That's just poor planning. Correct. So they've got to get that sorted yep. for sure, G. But in regards to track, it's impossible. It's hard, and they're doing their best. Mm-hmm. And I think you just gotta, you just gotta cop it on the chin. And that's why you get the good jockeys on as well, G.
0: Just quickly, South Australian apprentice jockey Chelsea Reynolds is fighting for her life. This is such a sad story. After mm. a fall at track track work on Tuesday morning, the 28 year old was working on an uphill sand gallop at a private training property in South Australia on the Fleuro Peninsula, about 70 k south of Adelaide when the incident occurred. It's understood Reynolds was airlifted to Flinders Medical Centre with traumatic injuries after paramedics were first called just after 9am, with SA Health confirming on Tuesday evening that she was in a critical condition. Racing SA said it was providing support to Reynolds' family and will provide a further update as soon as um, we are able. So our thoughts with the Reynolds family and everybody involved there at that's stable where the incident happened, um, it is heartbreaking. And um, when they're working with livestock like they do, this happens in racing, sadly, but um, yeah, we're, we're wishing Chelsea all the best in the Reynolds family in such a difficult time, Mickey G. 100% G, 100%. All
2: right,
0: then we'll catch up with you. Are you coming on the, um, do you want to give you tips now? Are you coming back now for the... The gram bag of tips.
2: Let's come back for the bag of All tips, G, right but a uh, very keen one at Ballarat. I'll throw that out there now before Mitchie Lewis takes it. Uh, race five, number six, Pondaloe.
0: Yeah, were you the one that texted in about Pondaloe?
2: Yeah, I just texted myself, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> Good on you, mate. Thanks for that. Thanks, mate.